Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own they're essential, but altogether they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advantage tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing pieces to get the most out of every second of film. Learn more at huddle.com slash a quick timeout. Making his monthly appearance here on the podcast, Courtside Consulting's Coach Mark Cassio. Coach, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Always enjoy it. Yeah, Coach Cassio has done a lot for the basketball community and especially offensively. And today I want to talk to him a little bit about some of those things. Uh, done probably what some would call adapted dribble drive, uh, concept-based offenses. Pretty much what everybody's doing nowadays, which is whatever they like, they take it and they combine it into their offense and make it work. Coach Cassio's done a great job with that. I know, Coach, you did a lot. You have done a lot with four out, one in, and also five out. I just wanted to ask you in general kind of how you came about the conclusion of one or the other, your thought process of we want to use this one instead of that one, maybe with one team. I know for most coaches, they probably look at their roster and say, this year I'm going to be. But I know you've kind of even within a single season used both. Anything as far as like how you came about that conclusion and pluses, minuses for for operating that way? Yeah, good question. Um, I'll, I'll share my thought process and then I'll share something uh, towards the end of what we've kind of um, adapted to most recently. So originally we were, well, my background is five out motion. And I mentioned that because I love five out and we would have the ability to play four out if we had a post player. Um, and I'll come back to why that motion background kind of fits in there. But when we changed from motion, we went to dribble drive, which is four out. And then we started, uh, like you said, taking concepts uh, from Doug Novak or, um, you know, things we saw in the NBA or the college game or, or other high school programs. We just started blending in those concepts. And then we've, we've arrived, you know, 12 years later, what we're running now. But the move from dribble drive to more of the drive in space or sometimes, you know, I, I refer to it really as flow because what some people might not know is, we flow in between series and that's what gets us our just kind of cohesive, seamless attack. And uh, so we have Rose series, which is our guard to guard action where that, those are our triggers to create space and advantages. And then we have other series that we can blend in there, something like Princeton or get game where you're, you're playing through ball screen or what we call zooms. So all of that really started as four out just because coming from dribble drive, that's, that was the spacing template. And I got to the point where I thought we weren't necessarily starting or playing our best five. It was our four best perimeter players who were all somewhat positionless and a post player. Some years that post player was in our top five. Other years they might have been six, seven, eight. So we were really playing with our best four and our seventh man on the floor most times. And I, so the wheels started to get turning a little bit on how we could make this five out. And then we got to a point where we had six, seven, six, five, six, five, six, three, six, one starting. And none of those guys were post players. One of my assistant coaches came up to me and said, so are we going to stick so-and-so in the post next year? And they say necessity is the mother of invention. So I'm thinking, no, like he's not a post player. 
So we got to figure this thing out. So then we went to the five out version and it was really based on personnel. So if I look at, um, you know, what system I'm going to run at the college level, you can recruit to your positions. I might recruit fewer positions, maybe like point guards, post players and everybody else. At the high school level, you're you're mainly dealt with the hand that you get, um, or you, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. Um, so what we started doing is having the flexibility to either run four out or five out within the course of a season. Uh, I love five out because it's positionless, and all your small sided games can just flow. You don't have to, you know, if you want to play two on two, you can play two on two and not have to have a post player in there. Uh, but you had the flexibility to do that. So in some years, like our last year at Catholic, we uh, we had a six five kid that was really really good, a starter for us, but was coming from football. So we started that year five out, and then added four out in there. And the considerations that I would make is five out, you're gonna have more space around the basket, uh, and your I think your decision making becomes a little easier because all of your help is coming from the perimeter for the most part. So. If you're driving it and spraying it, you're usually going to a perimeter, maybe a burn cut behind the defense. Uh, and then in four out, you're going to have less space on the perimeter. Uh, sorry, less space at the basket, but more space on the perimeter. So it's going to be easier to turn uh, single or double gaps into triple gaps. Those are all trade-offs or like you're paying a tax whenever you choose one or the other. I, I love the fact that five out gives you uh, some more single gap passes where you can incorporate some more actions or triggers. And, and you always have the opportunity to go two out or down up over. So there's pros and cons to both. I always tell coaches, I wouldn't determine like, I want to be five out. So I'm going to make this square peg fit in the round hole. What I've actually encouraged people to do is move to what we uh, referring to as open post. So to bring it back to my motion background, when we passed, we could cut into the post and look for the ball to, to get it back. If we didn't get it, we could back screen out uh, and play from there. That was just our trigger to get out of the post was a back screen. So I'm viewing this the drive and space game as the same thing as you put the post or the dunker spot as a place of attack instead of a position. So you might have two guys that can flow in and out of the dunker spot or if you're positionless, you could have all five players flow in and out of the dunker spot where if somebody's in the dunker, we're four out, one in. If somebody's not in the dunker, they're on the 45 or stretch that wide slot and we're five out. That could be possession to possession or you could flow in and out of that throughout the course of a possession. Uh, I love a lot of that. Uh, some random thoughts. I always encourage coaches like, that the why behind what you're doing and then also not pegging yourself to one thing. The positionless I hear a lot of times today, positionless equals shoot more three point attempts. And you just gave examples of positionless does not mean equal or does not equal more three point attempts. It equals personnel. And I think more coaches are are seeing that and going to that. I want to put my five best players on the floor. Yep. If that's all guards, then I don't feel like I'm married to having to play a certain four out one in or five out. It's primarily the way that Coach Cassio uh, and I got introduced to each other and became friends is being introduced initially to just concept based offense. And we were primarily, I think at the time, like four out one in. And then over time, just kind of learning some of the concepts and going to a lot of his clinics and that kind of thing. And now, four years in, our offense, just kind of a personal testimony here, but our offense has evolved to what you described as we have a five-out attack 
that flows naturally into a four out one in and based off of certain triggers flows back into for us we do basically a princeton and we call it basically all flow i try to differentiate a little bit for the guys so that when we actually start practicing it in practice we sometimes will do flow low which refers to the four out one in or flow high which is more like that princeton type stuff but it's really just all all flow game and yep. that's where you can start messing with the concepts and actions and that kind of thing and like like you said you go the five out now you're probably a little bit easier able to incorporate some of the more common actions we're seeing things like you know chicago pistol any of those zoom type stuff three-man action for screen roll and place or pops and that kind of thing too so good point man and to piggyback off that something that that a question i get a lot is or with my court side with with coaches that i consult with privately or coaches that are in the court side community that i that i've kind of peripherally consult with they always say well i'm putting in this action what can i run after that and i always look at it the other way kind of what y'all are doing with incorporating you know some of the pistol or zooms or, or princeton stuff is i have my base offense and this is our base framework and i want to run pistol uh for instance I would look at what we're currently running and can we modify one of those actions to get us into pistol? So can we create what I would call a trigger that would allow us to maybe set that ball screen out of the corner and in the flare screen or the ball screen, but what do we currently have? How can we create a trigger to get into pistol? And now you're organically going to run it in your core offense. And that's a question I get a lot is, uh, you know, are player are you calling this for your team to run this or is this something that they just run if you connect it if you connect action to a trigger both can be true you can call it uh and joystick it or throughout the course of a possession if we run that trigger then we're going to run pistol or whatever it is yeah that's great i think the implications of that are anytime you call something what typically happens is players look over to the side the ball stops moving now i'm playing against a set defense and that goes contrary typically most coaches who are asking that question want that pace and space and you kill that immediately so looking at it from that way i think does have implications that they don't necessarily always consider. So you might want to think about that as well. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions that I frequently get, I know you get as well, you play this style and now you are reacting to, or you see on a Tuesday night and then on a Friday night, a completely different type of defense where one night, I know most teams are kind of going more towards a gap type of defense, pack line defense. And then you may turn around the next night and play a team on Friday night that's playing like all out pressure. Uh, yep. This last week for us, we faced on a Tuesday night a team that played a 2-1-2 zone, and then we played a team on Friday night that played a man-to-man, -man, and then the next day, which was like at a kind of a NAIA-type level, and then we turned around the very next day and we played at Furman, which was all-out pressure. And yep. so when you're running this style of offense, let's start with the gap defenses, and then we'll talk about kind of facing more pressure defenses. But what adjustments need to be made or at least considered for you to be able to continue running this style without having to come up with something totally different? Great question. When, when I get a lot, I would lean on actions you already have. And I, I hate if that sounds over overly simple, but let me let me kind of elaborate here. So we always give our players options if uh it could so connect it to those triggers so ball in the action spot we're in rose series so i've got um you know maybe three four actions at my disposal if i go guard to guard 
the trigger to get in the Rose series is the ball in the action spot. Whether we go, we arrive there in transition, we go down up over from the corner, but the ball in the action spot equals Rose series. What we would do against a sagging defense is know that some actions are designed to be more effective against the sag. Some actions are going to be better against pressured man to man. So without having to install something new, change what we're doing, we would just lean on on those actions. One being fan. That's really where fan has evolved from us as we used to just fan, create triple gap and play. Uh, and then we modified it to really hit the boomerang on fans. So we're giving it up, getting it right back, creating closeouts um, and trying to get into dominoes, which giving them what, you know, they take what they give you, right? They're going to be off the ball line. We're going to be able to boomerang you to death, whether that's a shot drive or action that we've installed in recent years called return. And that's going to help. That's ret- so ret- return is another trigger, which gets us in the get game, which opens up ball screens. Um, I think step up ball screens are great against sagging defense because even if you can twist the under, a step up doesn't allow them to go under. They basically have to choose left or right. And then as you get the ball moving, if we can get it down, up, over, or just click it through single gaps, one thing gap teams or pack line teams have to work on a lot is closeouts. So can we just create closeout, 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 crack the shell? And then other ways we would create advantages against the pack. Uh, obviously, transition. That's always our first uh, crack at uh, creating an advantage. But we like to lean on screening game. Uh, that could be starting with screening game. So like you said, y'all have blended some Princeton stuff. We did as well. So instead of starting in Rose series, we might start in our Princeton series. Uh, we've also incorporated a lot of split action into the offense over the last couple years. And I find that's really good against the pack as well, because you can get to the level of the defense uh, and then, you know, create advantages or a closeout from there. As long as you're moving the ball, just think about what they're giving you against a pack team. You can generate some ball speed around the perimeter against a pressure team. It's going to be more off the balance because they're taking away your ball speed. Once we get the ball moving, we want to keep it moving, drive, kick, swing, share it until we get that big advantage shot. And, you know, I, leading up to those games, I would just experiment with a couple of those actions, ask the players what they're most comfortable with, and then we're leaning on those. So, like, ratio to fingers fan might be 75% fan. And then those few times you run fingers, maybe you do bust them up because they're not guarding it all night. We had a team that we played that not only – was a gap team but then they also switched everything so if you go on synergy it looked like they were in a zone a lot more possessions than they actually were what would you do for a team that not only played gap but then also did switch any kind of advantage creating situation honestly a lot of the same um i would lean on split action so triggers we have for for split game would be um any post feed uh, any bust out of the corner can get you a split, which is which is very similar to pistol. Uh, and then if we were five out, any single gap pass, we could go split. And the same way that we would counter uh, a team that switched uh, our fingers cuts, we would do the same thing uh, if, if they were switching off ball stuff too. And, and I think split game is one of the best ways because what you're doing is you're disguising cuts as screens when you're in split game you're not really screening anybody 
uh, but you're coming together, you're ripping apart really fast. If we can just create a second or two of confusion, similar to what a ghost screen would do versus switching team, right? You're disguising a cut there really as a screen because you're slipping out of the, the screen early. So we'll just lean on that. I mean, honestly, that if we watch that game on Synergy, it'd probably look a lot like a matchup zone uh, maybe. And the way we would attach attack a matchup would be just our, our normal man-to-man principles, similar to the way we would attack a gap defense. Yeah, we did a lot of any type of ball screen was always a ghost. I'm assuming you do, you'd split, so the guy would slip the guy that's splitting. So the guy that goes in screen, do you usually have them slip the screen on that? Yeah, we would, we give them the option. So we could use the screen or refuse the screen. Our rule is just somebody's always going to the basket. Somebody's all, always sure. going away from the basket. There's also action that I really, really love. One of my favorite actions, again, comes from my motion background, but we call it a fox. Trying to be sly like a fox, we would uh, have this screener become the cutter. Uh, instead of flare screen. So if if you and I are in split game and I'm coming to screen for you, you would flare screen for me. And I find those combo screens are really, really tough for switching defenses. And then also it, with all of this stuff, I think it's it's worth being said that um, you might not create advantage, especially against your pa- uh, pack line or gap teams on the first action, right? It's usually going to take an action uh, some ball movement, another action, some ball movement, similar to just ball screen offense. Very rarely do you come down and set one ball screen and get a great shot. It's usually the second or the third ball screen. One thing we did, doesn't work all the time, but off-ball stuff, we'd actually go, and if they were connected enough, some of those gap teams play so far off you can't do this, but we would screen our own man. Yep. We'd go off the ball and then screen our own man. It'd create some some at least some small advantages early on there so i don't yeah. want to brag but i played a little pickup last night and guys were switching so i just started screening my own man coach. i like it <laughs> i like it i'm also glad to see you don't have a torn achilles right now that's all right. right uh so that's kind of uh playing against the gap teams now a little bit pressure ideas suggestions both in the full court and in the half court i know you know whether that's just something as simple as a simple press break or do you connect your full court to your half court offense and start running it right away? Yeah, great question. I'll I'll pick up right there. So on a made basket, we want to get organized before the defense does. So it's it's really a fight for who can get into their stuff sooner. Uh, What we did not want to do is forfeit pace if somebody was picking us up either full court man or full court zone. So we would go made break. We try to grab it out of the net. We're rolling out. We're trying to to inbound it quickly. And a lot of times we might not be in our quote unquote press break, but the ball is in and we're organized before they are. And we might be able to just advance the ball that way on dead balls. We have uh, really uh, made baskets or dead balls. We have our best ball handlers inbound the ball. Uh, We don't play with the traditional four or if we're positionless five out, we don't play with the traditional five. So Uh, Instead of having our four man always inbound and trail like a lot of people do uh, by default, I've always leaned towards let's just put our best handlers there. They're our best passers. They usually have better vision. They can handle the ball better. Uh, And we would have those two players play in tandem. We obviously always want to create a side middle over the top and safety behind uh, option for the ball. And really what we're trying to do against any pressure, whether it's uh, you know, a zone like a diamond, a two-two-one, or something in the half or full court. We're trying to draw two to the ball, similar concept to getting in dominoes in the half court. That's going to create space on the other side of the floor. So what we're doing is we're creating space 
in order to attack space. Uh, the number one thing that I would I would say just through consulting and 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 just coaching in general, the the number one thing that has kind of become my pet peeve over the years is dribbling past half court against pressure when you don't have to. Ideally, we want to move the ball with the pass and the dribble. Uh, we always made our guys really aware of the half court line because a lot of people will beat that first wave of pressure in the full court and then lose that at the second level uh, and getting those secondary traps. So a couple of things we did is uh, draw to one side, bring to the ball, snap it, play to space. But anytime we got the ball in the sideline, we were immediately attacking middle. What we didn't want to do is catch up the sideline, hold it and allow that secondary trap to come because the goal against pressure should be to beat it uh, with a, with a shot, right? Uh, we want to make them pay. In fact, like these pressure teams or even like a gap team, if they were, if we were preparing for them and they did have a press in their arsenal, a lot of times I'd say, I hope they press us because the game's going to be exactly what we want. It's going to be more free flowing. We can create advantages early and then ride that wave into the half court. So that's kind of full court. Uh, we would teach players more of how to beat pressure and how to play against pressure than like having like a fancy press break. To me, it's about getting guys in spots and teaching them how to play out of that. And that should be sprinkled throughout the entire season, not Wednesday, Thursday, when you're playing a pressing team on Friday, should just be soft rain throughout the year. We're always preparing to play against pressure because even against, you know, teams that don't press, you get a lead, they got to do something, right? Uh, and then in the half court, uh, we would obviously have to make some more one-on-one -on -one plays into, into space. That's what they're giving us. Uh, they're not going to allow the ball to move as freely. So we would really focus on protection plans. I think against your pressure teams, your small advantage shots at the rim can be fool's gold. Against the best teams on our schedule, they would limit our guard-to-guard -guard pass because they would scout us and know, hey, this is how they get into their stuff. Um, and they would force us to just play more one-on-one. -on -one. What we didn't want to get suckered into is playing one-on-one, -on -one, taking highly contested full-speed shots from outside the paint at the rim. When that started happening, that's when I started going through, all right, what are our adjustments here against pressure? And those would be, one, if they are in the passing lanes, how can we loosen them up? And what we would do would be uh, false motion or what we call movement. Similar to football, how you might go pre-snap movement and get somebody on the run uh, to kind of free them up on the other side, just kind of get that defender trailing by, by a half second or so, we would do the same thing. Can we move these dudes around to, to get them out of the ball line so we can get into our stuff? Um, and then we would focus a lot on, uh, like I said, protection plans, burn cutting off of those, getting some pitch posts, which we call punch at the rim. But the hardest thing to to play against, more so than the sag, would for me would be pressure man the man with bigger, stronger, faster athletes that didn't have to help a lot. Because uh, what we're trying to do is get in the dominoes by bringing two to the ball. If they don't have to help very much, you're playing a lot of one on one. Uh, if you got guys that can score at the rim one on one, it's a huge, huge plus. So we would develop, um, you know, a lot of our skill set would be designed around foot foot fit, you know. Footwork in the pose, shot fakes, uh, just can we turn a small advantage shot into a big advantage shot on our own? Uh, and then hopefully that forces more help and then we're playing, you know, more in the game that we want to play. And then within your flow game, I'm assuming more kind of wave and push actions? 
Absolutely. Yep. So we can't go guard to guard. We're going to wave that trail guard through or push that that trail guard to the corner. Uh, and then obviously we have triggers designed out of that. So I, I, I mentioned fan return. We could run that at, um, out of push as well. And what that does is, is that allows us to flow into uh, zooms or ball screens, which I think are good against your pressure teams too, because like I said, if they're not going to help off the ball a lot, if they can just keep it in front one-on-one, well, can we create a ball screen to bring two to the ball? Um, and then, you know, I think split games important is good against pressure teams too, because they're, they're wanting to deny, like you said, slipping that, that cutter into the basket can be really good too. Typically your pressure man, the man teams in my experience have been better individual defenders than team defenders. So how can we get these guys to guard as a team rather than just guard as one-on-one on the ball? One more action that has been helpful for us, you know, wave and and push sound great. But again, you've got to have the guy with the ball has got to be able to make a play. And depending on who has it up there, they may or may yep. not be able to do that. Was it kind of a snapback? Just wave you through. I dribble at the other slot and then I turn around and snap it back to the guy that's filling behind me or he gets overplayed and then we burn cut behind him. And uh, to to that point, uh, we'd call that playing against the grain, which is great, great against pressure. So that snap back, which, you know, something I didn't say creates a stampede, you know, where you're running into your catch where you can catch the defense in an actor versus reactor situation where like I'm going to get that head start similar to the, to, you know, the pre-stat motion in, in football, but I'm going to go before you go. And can that be the difference to get us downhill and create advantage against those pressure teams? A quick timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Duke Blue Devils, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish Basketball. And now, save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. A big thanks to 323 Sports for supporting the show. The guys with 323 Sports are a team dealer providing uniforms, gear, equipment, and more to schools and colleges across the country. I've used them on multiple occasions, and their customer service and low prices are second to none. To find out more, visit 323sports.com, or you can reach out directly to a rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. All right, I have one more, and this one's going to sound kind of weird, especially in modern basketball. But if you're watching this, it says on the screen, ideas for generating more three-point attempts. And I would guess most coaches are like, no, my kids take plenty of three-point attempts. I'm talking about within your offense, especially, I have found that as teams are facing this, you talk to early dribble drive teams, all I had to do was create a triple gap, and I was getting something at the front of the rim. Well, then it became, I create a triple gap, then somebody's coming, and I'm drawing two to the ball, and we're just pitching it and making a shot. Now I'm finding defenses, they can keep you from scoring at the front of the rim and they don't overcommit off of the three-point shooter. So my question is, how do you generate more three-point attempts other than just hoping that you can easily draw two people to the basketball and then pitch it out? Yeah, hope is not a strategy, right? Right. Uh, Man, that's a good question. You know, usually early in the season, about 54% of our shots were threes. And then towards the end, that would level off to about 50%, maybe even sometimes a little lower. So our three-point attempts would decrease as the season went on. But that was almost a good thing because early we, we would just 
the, you know, like you said, selection. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be shot selection, but also like you said, is is defense are helping off the corner. Or they're you know they're I, I don't think transition defense is as good early in the year too. So you're getting more threes in transition. So honestly, we've never run into that. Usually, it's hey, how can we get more twos because we're we're getting you know people are helping off the corner, or we're getting in the dominoes, and, and there's a lot of threes there. So to create more threes, I would say one, and this comes up a lot. I've watched a ton of film this past week for for consulting clients, and a common issue is maintaining spacing throughout the possession. Yeah. And something as easy as that. So if you're not getting threes, are your three point shooters? well-spaced or the other guys well-spaced where one can't guard two uh, that's something that comes up a lot so we're either not getting those shots or we're not being able to flow to create an advantage that way a lot of the, these possessions start with rose series uh, or, or ball screen and then after that it's just becomes the take them offense or, or more similar to the dribble drive offense could also run um quick hits so uh, any any action that we have in the offense can be a a quick hit as well since we just we have very specific terminology split game is another one passing through singles and going the split can we bring because so the way i would look at it is we bring two to the ball a lot with the drive can we create gravity or create you know two on one with action off the ball as well so that could be a split game where we confuse the d and both go with one cutter a ball screen to where we're making guys tag the roll and creating shake opportunities. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on creating more threes too. But one, one thing I would say is can we change our defense to make the game more free flowing where we get those transition threes or those early offense threes where we're riding the wave. And then, you know, another way, last thing is just, can we, can we feed the ball to the rim? to sink the defense and create some kickouts or some down up overs that way. Um, but what, what do you, how about you? Have you run into this issue or have any solutions here? Yeah. Th- three things come to mind. I mean, we've already played a team twice and saw adjustments made based off of what we did the first time and, and saw fewer three point attempts as a result of it. The f- first two are connected and it's what you just said, getting the ball into the paint, not with necessarily a mindset to score it, but just to turn the defense or to create something out on the perimeter off the ball. So essentially just inverting your offense. And the two ways you do that is, yes, just throw throw it into the post and then do some sort of split action out on the perimeter is what we like to do. But the other one is a lot more Barclays. Yeah. Um, so that first action of wave, get to the get towards the paint. You know, this is another episode, but going into a Barkley is not just for fun going into a Barkley. It's I wasn't able to get a part of a piece of the smile. I wasn't able to get my shoulders inside the backboard. So I go to my protection plan or a Nash underneath and play yeah. out on the other side, which generally turns into a Barkley, but turning the defense then to look at the ball as it's being dribbled. And there's a lot of statistics connected to that within the last five years. Um, and then whatever it is, just something as simple as getting at a three and three in a row, you know, on the perimeter or screening for somebody moving, whatever. Let me piggyback on that, on both those things. So like you said, getting out of three in a row, that was kind of me eluding the spacing, but how can we move to always have that open window? You talked about moving their eyes too, by inverting the offense. Uh, That's going to create burn cut opportunities, which will sink and create even more gravity towards the rim. And then you got your fill behind or throw behinds. Um, And then you had another, a good one. Um, 
he's talking about screening. So exit screens, uh, really popular in the NBA now. A lot of times it's ball screen on one side, exit screen on the other. So what you could do is just your normal motion principles is if you're out, screen in. If you're in, screen out. So if you're that corner player and somebody has passed, you know, drop driven past, they're cutting out, set some exit screens, especially against those teams. Like we're, we're to kind of bring it back to even the beginning, those teams that that load up and help are in the gap, flare them in. You know, if, if just whatever they're doing, punish them for doing it. So if they're going to be really in, well, we're going to screen you in and, and, and play out and, and vice versa against those pressure teams. If they're going to be really out, well, we're going to screen you out and try to play in. That idea of the second player out on the perimeter, so the guy that does cut and then somebody fills from behind, I think is underrated. I think we look at like that first action is I hit somebody on the cut. If that's not there, then we get it back out. But that can be a great opportunity to score it. And another way that we often use it is we throw the ball into the post. We split out of it. Teams now are switching that and negating that that advantage too. But then we'll grenade up out of it. Yep. And then you can get something as kind of like a screen roll. But then you also get the guy filling behind like you would on a typical shake action. So you think about a normal floor, screen, roll, lift, or shake from behind but you can do the same thing with the floor inverted. The big comes out, hands it off in that grenade action. The guy with the ball now starts to drive to the basket and the shake, which is not a lift. It's just a fill behind Mm -hmm. by the second guy is now open a lot of times because now help is being given by that man's defender. And so we get some three point attempts that way as well. So probably something you see a little bit more in the professional level, but I'm sure it'll start trickling down. We like to use it. So, yeah. Uh, I did want to ask you, you've mentioned several times about this, but just the courtside consulting and then also coaches connecting with you. I think sometimes maybe we use terminology that coaches are like, man, I wish I knew more about that or whatever. So where would you point them to find out more about that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, website, courtside-consulting.com, uh, my Twitter, at Coach Cassio, and then uh, you know, feel free to, to obviously reach out, email me. Um, I love to hop on the phone with with coaches as well. I think the if you're looking to dip your toe into the water, consider just joining the courtside community. It's $15. You get access to a private chat. And then I do bi-weekly Zooms where I hop on Zoom with all the members of the courtside community. You can ask questions either in advance through a Google form or just live. And and I just share ideas very similar to how we we did today. Um, and then if you want access to everything, that is the playbook model where you get access to tens of thousands of resources and obviously the 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 more in-depth way uh the way that that really fulfills me is where i work one-on-one with you and uh we meet every single week i break down film for you Uh, we share ideas on culture we troubleshoot things within your program whether that's on the floor or off the floor Uh, and i become extremely invested in your in your development as a coach and a leader, but also your team's development too. So that has been the absolute best part of this journey for me is working individually with coaches. And one thing I would say, look, if, if you're, if you've been interested, if you're dipping your toe in the water, I actually would suggest not running this stuff. If you don't have a really deep knowledge of it, because I've seen so many coaches reach out and say, Hey, we're trying to do this. This isn't working. By the time we start working together, they're like, man, I was, I was so far off on, on, how to install this or what I thought it was. So uh, if you want to do it, do it right. Just like you would tell your players to do. 
I think it's an investment in you, in your coaching career, not just in your team for that season. So uh, feedback has been awesome and I've really enjoyed it. So highly recommend you reach out, if not anything, for a, for a phone call just to connect. And, and I'm an open book on the phone. I'll answer any questions you have about basketball. That's Coach Mark Cassio of Courtside Consulting. Coach, always a good time. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to doing it again.